So today I'm talking to Roderick Cameron from Boardroom Advisors. Roddy's been an advisor for um, the last 15 years, working with small, medium and fast growing businesses. He's got a background as, as a legal and uh, legal expertise, but he's also, he's not your typical lawyer. He's got a great business development uh, history there as well. So Roddy, over to you. Great to have you uh, with us today. Why don't you give us a bit of background uh, of yourself and then we'll take it from there. Sure. Thanks for the invitation, Daryl. Um, very quickly, my, my pod history, was, I, I, I was a lawyer in my first career. and I, I've seen um, deals and, and M&A from, uh, from the legal perspective. Um, I've uh, run communications campaigns uh, for um, big IPOs and M&A and cross-border, including working on the, uh, on the Betfair IPO at 1.3 billion at the time. So I really understand at the macro level what the, the dynamics are around um, uh, valuations and, and deal processes. And that's really helped in the last 10 years or so in around the SME space, uh, helping people as they, they go on that, that growth journey, either to just to build their, their, their business for their income. But, uh, but typically, it always makes sense to focus on uh, and have a plan for an exit and be building valuation uh, towards the exit. And that's been across a range of sectors, actually even into, as you say, fast scaling businesses. I worked in a, a FinTech as strategy officer for the last, uh, last couple of years. So that's quite an interesting experience being back in that, uh, that pace environment. So um, quite a broad range of experiences. Great. So it sounds like you've got, uh, yeah, like as you say, broad experience across multiple industries and also multiple sizes of, of businesses yeah. you know, from the, the startup. So have you found any differences? What differences have you found between the various industries and, and I guess stages of uh, the journey that businesses are on? Um, I think the similarity is that every, every business thinks it's special and unique in its own way. And, and yeah. the frank truth is, of course you are. Of course you're special and unique in your own journey, but you're also uh, in, a, in, a, in a big world uh, with lots of other people have businesses at the same stage and typically hitting the same problems. And the problems do tend to be uh, always in that, that bucket of, of management, of, of managing the human relations. Yes, you know, it's difficult to build a big power station and, and these big capital intensive businesses, but most businesses, it's all around how you manage uh, and, and unlock the potential of your, your people or indeed inhibit the potential of your people. So um, if I just talk through some clear, there's, there's stages of growth where it's clear an extra layer of management comes in. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, you know, and that's from as basic as just hiring your first person is really difficult <laughs> if you're yeah. a, um, a solopreneur. Just, well, just getting that right um, often doesn't, doesn't work. Exactly. Um, uh, particularly because of one income stream and suddenly you've got to feed two mouths and not one. <laughs> When, when you're a one-man band and you're first hire, you've just doubled your your um, you know, your employees. Whereas uh, when you've got ten people and you hire another one, you only increase your headcount by ten percent. So that first one's always a toughie. Uh, the first one is is a toughie, and if you can get through those first one, two, three, typically you've got a tight little groups, quite efficient actually, because you, you're all within reach. Everyone knows what everyone's everyone's doing, uh, and then quite quickly you get to the stage where. Um, there's just too many conversations in the room. Uh, you know, I've always talked about that, that being seven's quite an ugly number for that, but you know, it can be a bit more, a bit less, but certainly for one person to be running you know, in a big corporation, we're running 12 reports is slightly, 
slightly slightly crazy. I know a lot of businesses now uh, try and flatten out that way, and I can't, for the world of me, get the logic behind that because it's just the number of conversational loops going on becomes very difficult. So that that next layer of having hired the first person and grown the team yeah. is that next point is that real stepping up point, which is actually I, I need someone else to help me manage, someone else to take that responsibility, someone to actually take all of that off my hands and ideally be better at it than I am. Sure. And, and what's your experience as to the best time or the best number of people of when you need to introduce that management, that next management person or that next layer? You know, if, if you're, you're, you're bringing employees in, I'm, I'm guessing the first employees are uh, you know, your you're their boss effectively and you're asking them to help you out with typically the stuff you don't like doing. But um, where's, that, where's that point? Is, is there a tipping point when you need to introduce a management layer? And, and every industry has slightly different needs and staffing and fractional ownership and all the rest. But if you look at the statistics, very few businesses get to a million pounds of turnover. Yeah. Um, um, very, very few make it through. The, the, the pyramid, if you like, is incredibly flat mm -hmm. uh, in terms of size of, of revenue of business. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is um, if you take a, a rule of thumb of uh, somewhere between 80 and 120,000 per head. So let's make the maths really easy for me, my homeschooling maths teacher. <laughs> at 100,000 a head, well, at a million, you've probably got 10-ish employees. So it is around that 10... 12, 12 people that um, uh, that it's that those conversations start to get a little little difficult unless you've unless you've really worked on uh, on on breaking that down. If you've got twelve direct reports, you're you're in trouble. Um, yeah. And and that and so people tend to run with that and some of them up to fifteen, sixteen, and 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 that's where balls start start getting dropped and uh, and, and growth can get a bit a bit stuck. So around that. 8 to 15, I know that's quite a, quite a loose parameter, but there's, there's a definite physical sense in the, in, the, in, the in the business from knowing what everyone's doing every day and suddenly you just can't cope with it all. Yeah. So that's a really interesting point, Roddy. So are you suggesting that there's some sort of correlation between that, that flexible 8 to 16 number of people in the business and the fact that so many businesses don't get past a million pounds in revenue? I, I, yes, I think that's um, whether you think of it in terms of the number of people, or think in terms of the, of the revenue. There's definitely there's a barrier to growth. Yeah, there's this um, some sort of ceiling in place, which which could simply be the around the ability to communicate with that many people and hold that many thoughts in one person, the boss, uh, the, the founders, uh, the founders head. This is that. Um, uh, Someone described it as, as the let go gap. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Um, because the, um, the, uh, the founder, she, she knows everything about the business. She's, uh, she's, she's done every job. Uh, and so just the ability for her to let that go can, can be quite tough and, and inhibiting on the business's growth. Yeah, that, that definitely um, yeah, agrees with what I've experienced in working with those businesses. So, uh, you know, if you can, if a business gets past a million pounds in revenue, and the owner or owners can um, implement a management structure to to fill that gap, that let go gap, and and they do it with a structure, 
um, rather than just because what happens so often, I was talking to someone the other day, is they just go, hey, look, I need a marketing manager. Yeah, you've been a marketing manager before. Go and do it. And they don't give them any structure. They don't give them any process. They they just, you know, it's, it's not uh, you know, delegation. It's abdication. And um, they just walk away. And six months later, they go, well, they're doing a terrible job and get rid of them. And, uh, and so they go, well, this whole delegation mark doesn't work. You know, you know what's the magic pill to, to be able to make this work? And they just keep going, you know, bouncing between one and one and a half million revenue uh, until they figure out how that they set up a structure and delegate, but still maintain control. And the domain frame control through systems and processes and, and the right sort of reporting. Yeah. So often what we see isn't delegating, is it? It's dumping. <laughs> well, yeah, dumping, you have to hey, uh, have, have all that, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, I couldn't work it systems out. Systems and processes can feel like quite heavy words at that stage in a business's growth. But it's, um, but it's so essential that to, just to get things written down. Um, no one's talking about building out massive libraries or whatever the digital equivalent is of, of, of the groaning shelf. But you've yep. you've got to you've got to start to to get that stuff committed down as a you know a process is simply a, a list of ten ten numbered bullet points it could be as simple as that yeah um, checklists even checklists all those those things rather than carrying stuff around in the head and rather than making assumptions because your assumptions can always be checked because someone can just say oh, I was thinking about doing this and they'll stick their head around the door well if you if you've got ten twelve fourteen people. They can't all be sticking their head around the door all the time. It's just you've yeah. got to work out this is how we do things down here. Get it, get it clear, get it agreed, get it understood, and then you've got a much better chance of making that delegation. Back to that delegation in sort of empowerment, which is this is what needs done. <laughs> Go do it your own special way. Yeah. So we've gone pretty quickly um, straight to the point that I guess it's all about the leadership and. Uh, the ability of the owners to lead and manage and and delegate uh, are key factors in their ability to be able to grow a business sustainably. How have you found that across industry sectors? Is 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 that the same in all industries that you've worked with? It. Uh, yes, and, um, and but, listen, it varies by degree, but but typically there is a point at which. Um, uh, Band just has has to let go. Uh, it's very unusual to to find sort of right, employee number one. I'm going to get her on down, make sure it's all organised, and, and hand it off and be clear in my division responsibilities. It doesn't happen that way. Things are just moving too quickly. It's all too organic. But there, there also comes a point where um, the the visitor wakes up and goes, "Whoa, just just too much." So so my experience is definitely that businesses do. Um, uh, do do get stuck, for of a better word, and and that stuckness often relates to um, the lack of trust that the founder has, not in the, the quality of their people because they've hired them, but the the trust in their own ability to to let go and and just recognise they can't be everywhere all the time doing everything. Yeah, so it's a bit like being a parent and uh, allowing your kids to, uh, you know, find their own freedoms and make their own mistakes. <clears throat> Uh, it's yes. Well, it's a, a lot of the similar similar journey, isn't it? Um, uh, Easier said than done. Yeah. Okay. So we've 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 I guess 
dwelled a little bit on on the the, the leadership as being one of the key things that uh, allow businesses to get through that growth cycle and to a successful exit. What are some of the things you've seen in businesses that have worked really well that um, you know, enable business owners to thrive and and you know, you know achieve their their ultimate end game, which is you know, get out of their business and, and maximise their value because you know business owners have always got this dilemma of balancing how do I maximise the value for me, but at the same time I really want to look after my employees, the people that help me get there. How do I look after them and and perhaps leave a legacy? What, what thoughts and experiences have you got around those? Well, I think if we just focus particularly on on the role of the the owner founder, um, it's I think about the, the blessing and the curse of a really strong owner founder because they will drag the business forwards and drag everyone with with them. But but in terms of the value they create to to leave that legacy, um, if they haven't, um, if a, a, an investor or a buyer or uh, you know, a funder com comes in and looks at that business without the owner founder. If you, if you take that that resource out, what are you really left with? If there's no, if if, if the business is being dragged forward by by that person, and um, you know, there there's a time for that. There's a time to go and knock the founder go and knock down doors and make things happen. Yeah. But to build sustainability into the business, and this is probably again talk about the stages. Often think about. Is that three million revenue and up that a business becomes truly sustainable? Um, because at that point, there's enough uh, slack in the system, if you like, to withstand the loss of a, a single key employee or a single big customer, or typically one of those shocks in a in a less organised business or a less spread business can can knock it right right the way backwards from, from uh, before you have to three million. At three million to get there. You've, you've always had to organize yourself. You've always had to say, actually, I, I, I can't be responsible for everything. And, and so getting that, that scheme of delegation sounds rather grand, doesn't it? Um, right. But just agreeing the, 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 those checklists, the way we do things around here. It's the, it's the old stuff um, uh, popped in my inbox the other day. Someone was, was lauding the, the E-Myth, uh, the Gerber book, yeah. uh, which has been around forever. And, uh, Obviously, the, the other voice in my ear, which is, and he went bust twice, right? <laughs> so, but the bit to take from that is his thing was write it down, get it, get it organized, get it manualized. And it's not difficult nowadays. Uh, you don't have to, um, you know, his day is probably working on a word processor. Uh, whereas now, whether it's, um, it is using kind of the A4 manual or if it is using Evernote and Google Docs and um, uh, Trainials, a new one I saw from the, the, the States. I mean, there's endless solutions now just to organize your, your, your thinking and get those repeatable processes down that allow people to step in and take that responsibility. Yeah. I think it was Gerber's mantra that uh, said, build a franchise prototype, even if you have no intention of franchising it, which is, I think it's a great mindset to be in. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. And Roddy, you mentioned that uh, a business, once they get to about three mil revenue mark, to, to achieve three mil, they really have to have got to the stage where they've pushed through um, the stage where they, you know, they just, you know, to get to reach three mil, they can't be dependent on key people or the owner or anyone in the business. They, they have to have got through that stage um, where it's not dependent upon just any one person, it's dependent on multiple people. And hopefully they're doing it the same way. Um, as opposed to uh, a whole lot of key people, which could now all be doing it their own way, and and 
you know, you've got silos in, the, in your business. Okay, so there's a couple of tips. So everything so far is, is um, we've, we've talked about, it really fits on, on what I would call the cultural side of the business in terms of the, the values, our, our leadership, our communication style. Um, interesting that nothing's come up around you know, the, the industry we're in or the products we're selling or, or even the database or CRM that we're using as, as being key factors uh, for success and, and pushing through to a successful exit. What, what's your experience on, on, on learning what, what we need to have in place to, to boost our valuations? Well, I think um, you know, once we're now in that, that, that run-up, um, so the next barrier tends to be around a, say, a 15, 15 million pound turnover. So we think we're in that, that, that space. We've got through the one million and we're pushing up that, that next size of business, yep. which is, I like to think of as being, you've grown all the way up to being a big, small business before you flip into being a small, big business. <laughs> uh, and that's, that, that, that takes a lot of work. But, it, but in this space, um, that, that repeatability of, of what you do is, is what you're looking for. That's, that's why you write things down. That's why you, you train and, and have processes and, and, and hopefully almost feedback loops of, of uh, the, the constant improvement that you're looking for. So those uh, systems now, um, from a, a valuation perspective, and for touching on tech stacks and all that great, great stuff, it's simply a, an investor is really looking uh, to see, is there effectively a, a machine there that will predictably, predictably give me a cash flow or a return and, and, and how reliable will that be? And, and the reliability comes back to those um, minimal key person risks. Yep. So it's, um, it's that, well, actually, if, if, if someone wasn't there, could you replace them easily and, and get moving? Uh, does someone have all the knowledge in their head? And therefore, we think systems, it's, it's that how to, how to do things, getting that uh, recorded. But increasingly, uh, and, and we've seen this over the, um, uh, the, the COVID period, is um, when you don't have the luxury of, of lots of bodies around and you're all sharing an office, how does technology come into play? And if you look around now, uh, folks are scouting the tech space. What we're starting to see is every aspect of a business now almost has a tech stack sitting behind it. Um, yeah. Now, we've, we're used to um, hearing about, uh, you know, Zero has been one of the great success stories. Um, I, I'm on QuickBooks, don't like it very much, but that's what my accountant likes me to use. <laughs> Zero, I think you're accountant? Uh, well, perhaps. <laughs> um, uh, but but that, that manages accounts really well in, a, 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 in, in the way that maybe even three or four years ago, once a quarter used to kind of put things in a black bag and send it to your accountant. Well, now, between these accounting platforms and receipt banks where you put receipts and uh, things that monitor your travel expenses, all that, that's, that's buttoned down. In sales, that's all buttoned down now. So the Salesforce or pipe drive or whatever these, whichever system you're using, uh, even down to email, little uh, Mixmax and Calendly, all these things. Actually, do I need someone running my diary? I'm pretty much, pretty much there today, things that have saved, saved me time. So all the way across, start to look at um, technical systems that maximize that, that efficiency and repeatability. So as we all know, any technical system really isn't as good as the training that goes with it. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're back to that human bit. So I, I 
um, I tend to think of those all in that, that bucket of how tech is enabling those human management systems. Yeah. So we need good technology backgrounds and, and support systems. And, and what I'm hearing you say is that we need to be all using them the same way. So I think you mentioned training a couple of times there going, hey, it's only good if, we, if, we, if we're trained to use it and, and we're all using it the same way. Um, so technology is absolutely a given nowadays. Yeah. What about the marketing and or let's call it um, sales, routes to market, digital, social? Yeah, do they make a difference? Um, well, it's been the only way to market for the last uh, last three months, is not it? Is uh, everything's online? Yeah. Um, uh, I was uh, on a webinar about European retail and, and uh, tech impacts, and they're just saying things aren't just moving online; they're moving to app. Everything's around the phone now. Um, now, in your digital natives, so you're under thirties, uh, of course, it's there. <laughs> But what we've seen through this process of having to educate grandparents on how to use Zoom, probably on a mobile phone, or uh, is that this whole, you know, the, uh, the digital immigrants like of my generation are now having to get much more comfortable with using technology in different ways. Um, so, so having, so if that's what the market's moving to and, and is, then not having that capability in your business, not having understood how to reach your market um, uh, digitally, um, having adjusted your sales processes, and there's a lot going on now uh, of learning from uh, fairly Silicon Valley SaaS businesses, which in, in, on the one hand are, um, you know, there's a whole bucket of evil around that whole unicorn chasing thing. But what they have really developed is, uh, they, they call them predictable revenue systems. Um, and they've really taken the pipeline, extended that out. They've got metrics in every way. They split what they call outbound from inbound. So they have people just phoning out into their market, having very light touch conversations, just working out if there's a need and qualifying, qualifying, qualifying the whole time. Uh, and likewise, on the inbound, people specifically saying, if, you've, if we've got content, so everyone has to be on social media now, you are on Google, like it or not. It um, doesn't mean you've got to share pictures of what you've just had for lunch, but, but building up that community on, on the right thing, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the right place is for you, that all goes to draw your community in and draw in ideally to your, your website or some point where they want to come to you. Uh, some will want to come to you and you need, to, and they're pre-sold. So, so treat them accordingly, help them on their journey. Others are going out and need to get to know you and you also need to not waste time by getting to know ones that are never going to buy. So much more emphasis on qualification. A lot going on in that um, predictable sales, predictable revenue system system world, and, uh, and frankly, a lot of resources available out there to understand that. Yeah. So the more we make our revenue predictable, the, the more uh, reliable and transparent it is and effectively de-risking it from a buyer's perspective. If what they're buying is is certainty of, of future income and cash flow, the more we can put that in place, the more valuable our business will, will be. Indeed, and it's and it's you know it, it is a piece of transition. It's not, um, but what it also gives you is if you move to that more um, measured process, and the clues in the word measuring is that you've got these indicators, uh, yeah. you've got these these measures. So so when you you come to demonstrate this is how my business makes money. You can start to link that. So, well, I know if, if that if that number's at 30 and that number's at 60, 
then at the end of the month, I'm going to have 50. Uh, and you start to build confidence in the, the quality of that system, the quality of your, of your business machine. Yeah. So we're talking about businesses, getting them ready, gearing them up so that the business owners can maximize their, their life's work and get the most from it um, and, and ultimately leave when they want and how they want. And sometimes we refer to that as leaving on their terms. So, you know, I mean, they're on their front foot rather than the back foot. So, you know, what are a number of things we see is that the businesses don't have their finances in order. So uh, given your legal background where, yeah, I'm curious to, to see your experience around the, the corporate governance side as well and, and just the legal documentation that um, so many small business owners or really don't have in place. Any thoughts or, or tips you can share with us there for, for business owners who are thinking that they might want to be getting ready in the next couple of years? You know, what's legal sort of stuff they need to really have nailed down? Well, um, one of the key learnings I've had over the last 10 years is that investors think of risk first before the reward, whereas business managers and founders and entrepreneurs, they're all, well, it's all about the reward and the risk will sort of take care of themselves. And it's, it's just a very different mindset, different perspective. So true. So uh, in terms of kind of de looking at how easily to demonstrate that you've taken steps to reduce risks in the business are simple things from regularly recording your decisions. Um, so, and, and that's almost getting into, as soon as you can into that rhythm of once a month having your, formal management meeting if it's not a formal board but but making sure that you've 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 considered and, and decided you know, what what are you going to do what have you done and what are you going to do do better but get that written down so as a record so people can understand why those decisions were made at, at the time and that those decisions contributed and they can match them across the financial performance on, on the financials you've um uh you've you've just got to have that quality of information that, that demonstrates beyond the year-end accounts, because that doesn't really tell you much at all. How, how good is, is your, are your management numbers? What do, you, what, what do you run the business by? And are you robust in demonstrating that? Can your accounting package deliver that? Or does your accountant need to help you deliver that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and are you using your accountant the right way? I think it's a very interesting conversation to have with your accountant as you approach a sale process. And, and you certainly don't want to be doing this in the weeks up. You, this is something to be thinking about a couple of years, uh, three years ahead, which is yeah. when I come to that table, um, you know, who do I want sitting with me to support me through that? And an accountant is a key part of assembling that, that advisory team to present your business in its best light uh, and ensure that the risks have been worked through and, and, and thought through. Yeah, so part of that, that business history um, sometimes I think of it as like a logbook, but that, that business yeah. history is, is often, you know, we revert to the financials. We've got the financial history of the business. But what I hear you suggesting is, hey, let's provide some context around that, what, what led to that financial history and the decisions that we are making ahead of time that led to those financial outcomes. So tracking the, the journey. So uh, we're just providing context around the numbers. Yeah. Love it. And it's and it, you know, this is specific to the stage that a, a, a business is at or, or the size of it. So again, what's appropriate? It might just be a simple, simple one page once a, um, once a week or once a month, right the way up to actually, if you're running a 
15 million pound turn of a business, you probably want to have a really good rhythm of quarterly board meetings and, a, and, and an offsite every year just to really manage through that and, and have those decisions thought through clearly and, uh, and, and the records from one to the next. And documented, as you say, to just show that history. Hey, Roddy, that's brilliant. Um, so I'm going to leave you with just one last question. So given, and clearly you could talk all day about what we need to do to make a business more valuable and, and it would be a fascinating conversation. But I'm going to try and nail you down to just one thing. What's the one thing you would love people to take away from this conversation to uh, help them on their exit journey? The biggest um, value reducer, the biggest obstacle yeah. to achieving a full valuation is the risk that people attach to the owner, founder, being in the middle of everyone. If you can't step away from your business for three months and that business continue happily, then, then an investor's not gonna, not gonna pay you the price you want for your business. That's the one thing you can, if you look through that lens, that'll really help you adjust everything else around your business. So making sure the business doesn't, isn't totally reliant on you as the owner, the founder, or founders of the business. Yeah. That, so step away as much as you can. And, and I'm sure that the business owners, owners out there would love the idea of, hey, let me just take three months holiday every year. <laughs> yeah, and- Most entrepreneurs go and invest in your business. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, thanks, Roddy, that's fantastic. Um, I'll put your details in, um, in, in the notes for the, for the podcast. Great talking to you today. Um, appreciate your time. As ever, Daryl, uh, great fun. Cheers. Thank you very much. Nice Cheers. Cheers.